Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Good, e- good evening, everybody. This is Masterclass Theology. I'm Big Rev. And I'm Professor D. We're coming to you tonight from Galatians chapter 4. This is session 4 of our time in Galatians. And yeah, it's an interesting text tonight, Mick. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's a continuation, for sure, of last week's. And again, pure theology here. Mm. Yeah, this is, if you've never been through Galatians before, uh, acquaint yourself with it because it is just pure theology. It is just straight, uh, just just straight theology, just theological premise after theological premise. And, and, and he keeps making this big argument to his Galatian church that they are being made to feel like they are insignificant or not sufficient enough in their faith that because they're Gentiles, something is lacking in them. And Paul's been talking for, for, for three weeks now, three chapters that no, what they have is not insufficient. In right. fact, it's something superior. And he even landed the plane last week by saying that, uh, that in Christ in faith, that we can be Abraham's children too, that it's, there's something greater going on there. And so here we are tonight, and we're in Galatians 4, and uh, let's open up here with, um, let's see, starting, I forget how I broke this up, we're going to be 1 to 7, but let me take it just a bit at a time, 1 to 2, first of all. Paul writes, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, and I ended up last week in in heirs, and heirs according to the promise, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. I'll just read all that. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God had sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So this first idea here is, you know, Professor D, how did Paul describe the reality of the Gentile son being a slave? This is verses 1 to 2. Yeah, the idea was that prior to us being Christian, we are, uh, we're, we're basically, okay, let me, let me backtrack a little bit here. So we're children at this point. And as children, the comparison is that we are, for all intents and purposes, we're not different than slaves because children, until you come of age in in the Greco-Roman society, you don't really have a lot of powers or rights until you reach that age. Uh, Pretty much for all intents and purposes, you're, you're a practical slave. And who is he saying is it above these kids when they're still kids? The idea is that the law is, is, is above these kids. It's their guardian, it's their care, caretaker, not very different than the, than the uh, what is the, the praetor from the, the previous chapter. Mm. Yeah, so this idea that a Gentile child, as Paul says, though he is the owner of everything, he is still underneath the slaves that the father has put in place to yeah. raise him up yeah. until that certain time when that son... Gets to be a gets to be a full blown son. Yeah. And until then, he's just a child in the household. Yeah. With these slaves as taskmasters over him. Right. And so there there is a time when 
the son is lower than a slave and is under the impression or under the tutelage of a slave. And yeah, so as, as the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. Yeah, but until the time set by the father. And, and so, I think also the thing about it being the child that's still not of age mm. is, is, is also a descriptor of your pre-Christian experience. And, and when you become, when you come of age, you are now the born again Christian. Um, the fact that he's using the illustration of his son is he's just using something that they understood. Mm. Well, and, and then Paul goes in, the, in verse three, in the same way we also, when we were children, so he uses, he uses we here. So, mm. so when he's talking to Gentiles, he's talking to you and them, but when he's talking about his own people, the Jews, he's talking about we, he uses we. So in the same way, we, when we were children, mm-hmm. were also enslaved. Yes. And so uh, to what were the Jews like Paul formerly enslaved? The Jews like Paul were enslaved to the law of Moses. Mm. The Gentiles were enslaved to whatever their pagan practices or religion were. Mm-hmm. The, the, whatever that philosophy is that, that they operated under. Right, and and we we know that. I mean, he says here, kind of like in the the ESV puts it, the elementary principles of the world. But he used the same idea, you know, in in in, in verse nine, talking about, you know, now that you claim to know God, how can you now turn back to those weak and worthless elementary yeah. principles of the world? Yeah. So he's clearly talking about the law, because the entire yeah. context is you're saved by by faith, by grace through faith. So why would you go back to the law? So this elementary mm. stuff. So. I, I like that he, that he makes the connection there that hey we Jews are all we're also enslaved yeah and so we're no, we're no different and so what do we learn about the father and the son here verses four and five so the, when the fullness of time had come so you got to understand that as as a a Greco Roman son under the tutelage of the household slaves mm-hmm. you were biding your time you were yeah. waiting for that time when that time had finally come when the father of the household said. You are now officially my son. You're now an heir. You're now you're no longer you know going through a time of trustees, but now you are officially my son and heir. Um, yeah. So when that so we have here that very idea behind this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. What does that mean? He's born under a woman. What what does that remind us? So what do we learn about the Father and Son here? First of all, what about the Father? What 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 do we learn about the Father here? So when the fullness of time had come. God sent forth that son. Yeah, in his timetable, God sent Jesus. And the idea of being born of a woman uh, basically is to show that Jesus is very rooted in in humanity. Mm. And born under the law, under Judaism. Yeah, and I like like that because we get this idea when the fullness of time had come, so so when, when this time was ready, God sent forth. So... God is God ever late? No, God. God has everything perfectly figured out. I love. He's this. got everything perfectly calculated. He determines when he was going to send his son. In the same fashion, he determines when Jesus Christ is going to come back for the mm-hmm. second coming. We may view it as a delay, but Peter explains that it is it has more to do with God's mercy and patience, and waiting for a full number of believers to come into the fold. God has that number already. So we we get this idea that Jesus is. In three sentences here, three fragments. The first one is, God sent forth his son. So we mm-hmm. get this idea that Jesus is, there's something divine about him. Yeah. But then born of a woman. So he's fully God, but also fully man. They're born mm-hmm. under the law. 
Jesus was the one person that being under the law wasn't a curse. Right. Because he could live it. Yes. He, he, he could live it sinlessly and not break it. And so now to redeem those who were under the law. So he might receive adoption as sons. So what is it that Jesus does? What are the two things that Jesus does in verse 5? In verse 5, uh, he redeems us under the law. The first thing is that basically he takes on our penalty because that's how he's able to redeem us. This is how he's able to buy us back. Mm. And the other thing is that he extends to us this, this right, as, as, as John 1.12 will put it, to be called children of God. Mm. So how did slaves become sons in, in, in Paul's argument here? Oh, by, by faith in Jesus. By faith in, 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 the, in the work of Jesus Christ. Mm. And only in the, in the work of Jesus Christ. He re, I, like, I like the fact that he, he's able to redeem those under the law mm-hmm. and also to give adoption as sons. Yeah. And to a Roman listener to this, they would understand that, that in the Roman world, slaves were not like you. We, we picture... Eight, you know, 1800s and America, you yeah. know, where, where slavery is obviously something that is abhorrent and horrible. And, mm-hmm. and just we look back and we're, we're cringing and just the, the sin that slavery was. In the Roman world, slavery wasn't, it was different in that the slaves became part of the family. And so imagine these similar slaves that were, that were the ones that were guiding these children up. And then at some point, slaves could become family. So the Romans had a great system of adoption where they could just say, you know what? In fact, there, there's, there's stories of like even Romans as high as Caesar saying, you know what? I'm going to adopt this person that I really like and this person becomes my heir. Yeah. And nobody said boo about it. He just he, You could adopt and that person becomes immediately part of the family, equal to any blood son or daughter. They were full heirs and they were just, the Romans had that system that fits so well with the gospel. And what Paul's saying here about that redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So slaves can become sons mm-hmm. if God sends his son yes. to redeem us and then chooses to adopt us. Yes. So how would that sound to the Galatian listener, Mick, who the opponents of Paul are saying, no, 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 to get into God's family, you've got to live like you're part of the family. Is that the point, or does God just bring? Is that the point of adoption? You got a fam belong before you are brought in. How does it work? No, I mean, as far as I I, I understand, adoption depends nothing on the child being adopted, and everything on the person who's doing the adopting. It was all this is God's choice. Yeah. When the time had fully come, God chose, didn't He? Yeah. This is beautiful. Yeah. And there's so much hope and tied to this because. At no point can I earn any of this, no, and, and this or is, deserve it. No, and this is very foundational because we as as Christians need to really, this this really needs to be ingrained mm. in, in our hearts and in our heads. It really does because I think that, you know, going back to the elementary system, the temptation is, is too easy. The thing about how do I gain God's acceptance? And the answer that Paul's making throughout this book is we cannot gain God's acceptance. Mm. There's nothing we can do to gain God's acceptance. Nothing. And that works exactly against mm-hmm. the Judaizers' argument about yeah. you got to keep the law to an extent you're going to gain this acceptance. Yeah. yeah. There's nothing we can do to gain this acceptance from God. That is the, the humanistic way of thinking. Mm. Again, th- that's the, I'm going to say that's the, the branch 
that got a hold of Judaism. Because, again, we see in Judaism, really, there are inbuilt roads there to show you that, that you need to have faith. Obviously, in the Old Testament, people had faith in God. So they understood that there was faith, and that faith was the only way. However, some people got a hold of it and turned it pretty much, let's make it look like Israel's tendency was like, oh, the nations around us had kings, we want kings. Mm. Oh, the nations around us have this, we want this. And so what happened is they took Judaism, which is not really the problem in and of itself, they took the law and, and they made it into what it was never intended to be. And by doing so, what they did is they made it look like every other basic philosophical system that the world had had to offer back then, which is not very different than what it's offering today. Interesting. And as we move to verse 6 here, mm -hmm. we have we have a Trinity moment, don't mm -hmm. we? Because, yeah. so in, in, let's see, it's in verse, is it in verse, so verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. So mm -hmm. now, and because you are sons, now God sends the Spirit of his Son mm -hmm. into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So, that's like a Trinity moment. There's yeah, a Father, is. there's a Son, and a Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Which goes to show you, all of God is involved in our salvation. All of mm. God. It's not like two-thirds of them, or, 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 or half, or, or one-third. All of God is involved in our salvation. What does the Spirit crying, Abba, Father, do for these Galatians? What, what are they being told in, in their soul, in their hearts, that the Spirit is crying this into their what's, what's He telling them? He's telling them that you have a relationship with, mm. with God eternal now. Amen. And it's in this relationship, it, uh, the term Abba intimates intimacy. Mm. And, and I, I know a lot of times people say it's dad or daddy, but the idea is that this is a term that is used by adults. It, but it, it's the idea of, of more than anything, what it's trying to convey is intimacy mm. with God. And the only reason we're even able to do this is because of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one that taught us that we can do that. In fact, we remember the Pharisees wanted to stone Jesus because you're saying that God is your father. Mm. And they knew what that meant. Not just that, you know, he is the exalted father, yeah. but, but he's my father. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I love this because I can imagine this being such a, an encouragement. Because here you have Paul's enemies saying to these Galatians, you don't belong unless you do X, Y, or Z in yeah. the law of Moses. And here's the Holy Spirit himself crying in their hearts you belong yeah you belong to the father you are now adopted sons and daughters you are in it's god's testimony it's god's very testimony that's what it is so verse seven you are no longer a slave but a son that would have been great and mm -hmm. if a son then an heir that'd be so encouraging to these yes. galatians they have hope yeah it's just, it's, just, it's just a great dichotomy. The outsiders are saying you've got to be, act like Moses, follow the law of Moses, then you can belong. And this is, this is God himself. So, so last week we learned that it's the spirit that makes, it's not the, the flesh that doesn't make anyone mm -hmm. saved. It's the spirit that makes you saved. Yeah. He brings you in and he continues you on the path, not obedience to rigorous principles of the law. So if that stays true, since that stays true, He's also involved in ratifying that in our hearts mm -hmm. and letting us know, hey, you belong. Yes. You belong. You this is he's your Abba. He's your this is you're here. You're part of this family now. And so that would have been greatly encouraging. And so now Paul transitions here. He has some um 
and there's a part that I was going to bring up. I'm going to save it for my closing principle, I think. Uh, so, so eight to so eight to eleven. Paul's going to have some concern for the Galatians here. He says, "Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You deserve day. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I." I may have labored over you in vain. What situation, Mick, was Paul addressing? They're wanting to return to a uh, to a to a way of being where you're earning God's anything, mm. and, and it's kind of like no, that that's uh, that's be a little vulgar here. That's butt backwards. It's no longer grace, is it? No. I mean, if you were earning it, it wouldn't be grace anymore. Right. So you can't claim to be saved by grace if you're really saved by something that's not grace. Right. Because then you could say, well, God, I followed your principles. Yeah. So why? It'd be like having God be like some kind of a, an instruction manual that has a troubleshooting guide. Yeah. And it's okay. If, if, if something makes this sound, tweak this button and, and it'll solve it. It's like, well, God, I did what you said. So now you owe me this. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, the whole thing. You know, it's like uh, I have to earn God's trust in order to get his acceptance and that's not that's that's the again i call it the humanist way of thinking you know it's the other way around we have to earn god's acceptance and then we we earn his trust not the not not gaining his acceptance first I mean, now we're not surprised that that Paul was calling them foolish in chapter mm-hmm. one, because no. he's now calling what they're doing weak and worthless. Yeah, you're turning to worthless things. Yeah. Why would you do that? Why would you? It's like now that you've tasted, it'd be kind of like it's like the excitement was that God accepted me, mm. God received me, yeah, God took me in when I had nothing to offer. What makes it, why am I starting to go, you know, that was what the whole point of the excitement was. Mm. Now I'm trying to do something as if to get it. Mm. It's like, that, that, that's just very contradictory. Right. You wouldn't be eating plastic fruit when, you can, when you've experienced the real fruit. Exactly. Why would you go back to the, 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 exactly. the, the decoration fruit? You would not eat that. That's not going to accomplish anything. So how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless things? Whose slaves you want to be again? You want to go back into slavery? Yeah. I mean, I mean, Israel did, they did do this ironically when they were hungry out in the wilderness and they complained to Moses, hey, at least in Egypt we had melons and cucumbers mm-hmm. and, you know, we had, you know, the, the produce section of, we we're longing for those things. They tended to forget the fact they had whips yeah. across their back or they had to make bricks without straw. But hey, you know what? We had water and we had, we had leeks and melons, you know, but you want to go back to slavery? Is that, is that what it is when you've tasted now what it means to be part of God's family? So he's 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 saying they're basically crazy for wanting this. Why would you want to go yeah. back to that? Says uh, so, so, and they do that by observing days and months and seasons. So they're going back to the law and saying, "Well, I now have to observe all these new all these Old Testament festivals." So you can see how Paul's enemies, the Judaizers, were getting them. Yes. Say, so, okay, so you're a Christian, but you're still going to celebrate the Passover, right? You're still going to celebrate Sukkot, right? You're still mm-hmm. going to celebrate the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, right? You, you can't give up on this, right? The trumpets and the, and the wheat. You can't give up on any of those things, right? And so he's telling them, wait a minute. Why are you observing all these things as if you must do them to keep God happy? Mm-hmm. I mean, Paul's like, why did I spend all this time with you to 
why was this all about grace if you're going to make it all about works? Yeah. So Paul's wondering if his time is worthless or vain. Yeah. And I think there, this is an important point because I, I can hear somebody kind of countering, well, you know what? The disciples still kept doing these mm. things. Jesus still kept doing these things. I'm like, okay, yes, they did. But here's the thing. When the disciples are doing it as now, you know, Pentecost Day Christians, post-Pentecost Day Christians now, they're doing so because they want to. Not because they have to. Have to, yeah. And there's there is a difference in that. It's a difference between having to and, and and choosing to for another reason. And and part of the reasons they they would have wanted to was in in their particular case it was cultural, and the yeah. other aspect was they also didn't want to be a, a stumbling block to anybody. And and we learn in Acts they started gathering on the first day of the week mm-hmm. anyway. Yes. So they, they, there was something different that was called yes. the Lord's Day. Yes. So even though they were some of them were keeping some of these old things, yes, they were doing something brand new as well. Exactly. Which obviously the Gentiles who didn't have that mm. were under no obligation whatsoever. No obligation. To do and that was pretty much long and short of that. Yeah. And his fears are just going to go back to being slaves again. Like why yeah. would you do that? And so continuing twelve to sixteen. Um, Brothers, I entreat you, become, and this is a great line, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, not and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So back to verse 12. How were they currently not like Paul? So he says, I entreat you, become as I am. So how were they not like him? What was it that Paul was different than them right now? Paul did not subscribe to, to the law mm. for anything. Anymore. 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 Yeah. And these guys were actually, if they, if they, among the Galatians, if they were Jewish, they were returning to the law. If they were Gentiles, they were feeling like they needed to add it on. Hmm. So become like Paul, as in, you know, Paul was once enslaved by the law, but no longer. Correct. So why are they now taking upon the slavery of the law when they don't need to? Exactly. So become like Paul, because Paul has, for I also have become as you are. So how did Paul become like them? And I'm and I, I'm thinking here there's a connection with 1 Corinthians 9. Yeah. He, uh, you know, this is where in First Corinthians nine to the Jew I become a Jew yeah. to the to the uh, Greek I become a Greek. So he's able to uh, what's the word I'm looking for? But he's able to um, adapt or adapt, be valuable, blend in, and not be burdened by things that he was burdened by before. He he has a certain freedom to be with with people, and I, I think it's also an important thing right there where it reminds us that. Instead of uh, putting burdens on people to change to become like us, 
we actually should go the extra mile to try to reach them where they're at. Kupala brought up the fact that maybe they had a big ham dinner and he had that ham dinner with them, even though that was pork. You mean the, his, the, the bacon double cheeseburger? Yeah, his former way. For, for the sake of the gospel, I'm willing to eat that bacon double cheeseburger. Oh yeah, it must have been such torture for poor Paul. I mean, I mean, <laughs> this is, it's like he was willing to become like a Gentile for the yeah. sake of the gospel. So he's like telling them, hey, I became like you. Yeah. Now I'm telling you, become like me. Right. And that's what he did. He did everything. He 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 removed. Again, he did, here's a couple things. First of all, he's not becoming a stumbling block to them. And secondly, he's not adding burdens to them. So there's those two things that are at work right. when you do that. I think of myself, um, you know, I don't have a problem with, with drinking a beer or alcohol in general. Uh, it has not been my particular hang-up or my particular issue. However, that said, there are, when I'm in a setting where, where there's guys who have had serious battles with alcohol, mm. I abstain from it altogether. Totally. And it has nothing to do because I don't believe you can't drink a beer. It has more to do with that I'm making a conscientious choice because I'm thinking of someone else. Exactly. And there's a difference in that. Not because I, I, I have to not, you know, or I'm, I can't have one. And Paul, and I, that, that's exactly right. And Paul gives an, he gives a picture that I don't know we've, we've encountered anywhere else mm -hmm. where of his original ministry with them. Mm -hmm. He's unpainting this, he's painting this, uncovering yeah. this picture of, of when he first was ministering to them. He had, and we kind of are thinking it has to do with his eyes because maybe they would have gouged out their own eyes to give it, although we don't know for certain. I mean, yeah. it's like, what in the world's going on there? How did Paul, um, what was Paul's original ministry like, evidently, how he described yeah. it here? And, you know, I like a point that you've made in the past. You know, these things were not written to us, but they were preserved for us. Mm -hmm. So obviously these readers knew exactly what he was talking about. You know, but we do get an idea that, again, they went through something. And the whole point that Paul's making here is that you guys mm -hmm. were really ecstatic when I first gave you the gospel. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it, it was so revolutionary that... You guys were really in love with it, so much so that look at how you, I'm just a messenger, and look how, how well you're receiving me and treating me and taking care of me. And I mean, if you really look at verse 14 there, though my condition was a trial to you, so evidently, whatever Paul had, I mean, it was it was something serious. Like yes. Maybe it was something like an epilepsy where he was you know having yeah. dramatic seizures, and they were like, what the heck do we do? Yeah. I mean... Evidently, Paul says, so Paul says, though my condition was a trial to you, and then he continues, you did not scorn or despise me. So that tells me that, tells us that maybe he had something that was making him momentarily grotesque or contort. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it was something really serious that was causing him to his body to contract or to foam or where they were looking at him like they didn't care. They were yeah. just, they were, they were so, they, they received him so well. I mean, it's just, it, it, just looking between the lines here, yes. I think there's a really precious scene that happened yeah. in the original. So you don't have to be this gorgeous person to be effective in ministry. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have every, you know, um, so many followers on social media. You don't have to be this perfect. The you don't have to have it all together either. Exactly. Here's, here's Paul, the man of God. Look, he's saying they're receiving me like an angel as of Christ. And he was sick. And obviously very sick. Something was going on there. Yeah. Like my goodness, I, I I can't even imagine, just how he describes it here. And yeah, maybe he's he's playing it up a bit, but still, maybe there was a really serious thing, and they received him really well. Yes. And they didn't count it against him, 
And so he says, I, I, I've got nothing against you. You didn't do me any wrong. You were good yeah. to me. And so, yeah. And so originally they were really just really sweet to Paul. And he, they received him and received his message. And God went to work and look at what's going on. And I think that's the point. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like Paul won them over with 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 just the fact that he was some gorgeous guy that came into mm -hmm. town. And everyone's like, well, I want to be like him. So yeah. I'll be like him. No, he was this this medical condition that came into town. Yeah. And they all rallied around him. And yes, I mean, God went to work. This is totally a God thing. And mm -hmm. I think that's the point. Yes. All right. So we have here now that's 12 to 16, uh, 17 to 20 here. So he continues. And he, he says they. So he, he's going, usually when he says you, he's talking to the Galatians. When he says we, he's talking to fellow Jews like himself. But when he talks about they or them, there's this other group out there, these Judaizers, mm -hmm. these, these this other element he's going after. So they make much of you, but for no good purpose. Mm -hmm. They want to shut you out. So you, you make that you may make much of them. And you know, we did that in, in, in grammar school. The cool kids didn't let you be part of their club. Yeah. So you, you rise them up and so yeah, you're not one of us. So how does Paul see the situation regarding the Galatians and himself? Again here, they made much. Oh, I didn't finish reading that. Yeah. It is always good to be made, made, be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, but my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Oh, he's using, he's using like childbirth. He's got two images there. Yeah. I mean, I'm in the anguish of childbirth until so Christ is not quite formed in them. It seems like there's something like the Christ is. He's using this childbirth image twice. Where he's ready to give birth, but they're not ready, mm -hmm. and they're 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 still they're going back as if Jesus isn't really quite formed in their life yet. I mean, I realize it's an odd image Paul's using here, but it's like I I thought we were good and I'm ready and you're not. I mean, there's something still incomplete about what you're doing because you don't you don't really understand to whom you belong. You you want to take these external trappings upon yourself. Yeah. So one of the things that was Paul's sharing with the Galatians about the gospel is that, um, again, he never emphasized Judaism, which is what the Judaizers had, have done, mm. and much less than even, even obviously, if he's not emphasizing the Jew, Jewish belief, he's definitely not going to be encouraging any of the pagan ritualistic requirements as means to earn or gain God's acceptance. Uh, because, God's, because of God's acceptance of him, you know, Paul... Paul accepted and met people where they were at, mm. and so 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 he's communicating this to them. And in, this this is the you know he has when he's doing this, he's doing this with really like hey you know this is for the good of you, you know. And he's not he's he he's making them understand that this good news that God has given us is good for all of us, you know. And I'm not just doing this you know just to butter you up. This is really good. And it, you know, so they they understood that and they received it at some point. Sadly, though, uh, there are those people who um, who are divisive. This is what the Judaizers are. They're divisive. And what seems to be their motive here? Their motive is, uh, according to what Paul's telling us here. So they're they make much of you. Uh, the, ha, ha, what what do they seem to be trying to do to these to these Galatians? They're um, Basically, bur burdening them with, with uh, additional things that they don't really need to do. But it's it's really about sway and, and, and power and influence that they're they're that they're seeking. 
Yeah, they they want to shut you out that you make much of them as if their way is the only way. Mm-hmm. There's something about there's something about that that. Yeah, and so I, I like how he said, I, I wish I could be with you because so I could change my tone because his tone's been harsh and, and just he's perplexed. Like, what are yeah. you doing? I don't understand why in the world you would do what you're doing. Yeah. Why you would listen to them. I mean, you could imagine, he almost sounds like a parent saying, why are you listening to them when you when you could be listening to me? Yeah. And you have listened to me. Now, why are you wandering away? See, the thing that Paul is sharing, the gospel doesn't benefit, like, you receiving the gospel doesn't all of a sudden make uh, my Paul bank account go up. Mm. It doesn't really do a whole lot. It's not about me creating a power base for me, Paul. Mm. When he's sharing the gospel, it's all about this all goes to Jesus. That's what the whole point of the gospel is. This is all for Jesus. These Judaizers, they were creating, from what I, I can gather, they're creating power opportunities mm. that are self-serving. Um, and it's not based on the truth, which is the uh, that which is the real problem too. Right. Uh, they only pretend to care for you while they're trying to sway you to to adopt w- what they're selling. You know, Paul isn't even selling stuff. Paul Paul received it freely. He shares it freely. I got a good thing. I want to share it with you because it's too big for me, anyways. These Judaizers, no, they they are trying to do, create a situation where they can leverage something over mm. these Galatian believers. Yeah. It, it, it seems like there's power. It's like, I want you to connect with God, but really I want you to connect with my system. Yeah. And then we can all connect with this system together. Yeah. And, yeah, and then tell ourselves that we're on the right path. When there's no telling yourself when you have the, literally the Spirit of God crying out in your heart, mm-hmm. Dad. Yes. It's like you belong to, do you belong to Abba? Yeah. It's like you have all the confirmation you need. You don't need anything else. A son else. does not need to gain his father's acceptance to be a son. Once that time has come, yeah, and he's been he's been made an heir. Yeah, he's in. Yes, there's no more. You so once you're a son, you're a son. Adopted in, you're in. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no having to prove. Maybe you, you can help me with this. I I wish I, I was better prepared for tonight's. But if 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 I remember correctly, once you're adopted as a son in Roman society, you actually are more secure. Than a biological son, hmm, because I think by law, once you were adopted, there you can't be disinherited. I, I believe an actual blood child could actually be disinherited. <laughs> now I could be wrong about that, but I think interesting because I, if I, that's the case, that. it really paints this adoption much stronger than than we realize. Mm. But the whole point being is that once I'm a son, once I'm accepted as a son, mm. I don't have to keep working on it. You know, I, I'm, am I going to be his son tomorrow? No, you are his son. You're in. You're in. You're not just freed. Mm-hmm. You're adopted. Yes. You're, you're 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 now living as the family. You are yes. you are in. You're not just okay. You're, you're you're here's your manumission document. You can go about mm-hmm. your business and just get out of here. No, you're now part of the family, and it's it's almost like from a reverse sense, like in Deuteronomy, the concept of the bond servant, where every every seven years, every Sabbath year, I believe, all, all the slaves had to be freed. And but but a servant could say, no, I don't want to leave. I have it really good here. I love my master and his family. I want to stay forever. And they, so he can stay forever. It's like this is an idea that no, no, we don't we don't want to just free you on, on the flip side. We want you to stay forever. Yeah, you're now family. Yes, you're now not just freed slave, but you're now son. And we like to say that the, the, those people who are listening who have biological kids and who have adopted kids, 
you may look at your your adopted kids and know you're 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 fully equal to everybody in the family, but yeah, that that was the case and. Like, uh, I believe there was the story of at least one Caesar who said, you know what? I don't want my biological son to inherit. I'm going to adopt somebody in, and that person's going to be my heir. Because mm-hmm. I want this one as my son. Mm-hmm. And he just became son. What are you going to do? Tell Caesar no? Yeah. But, I mean, there it is. So Paul closes today. It's a fascinating point. You're, I, I actually don't know the answer. If, 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 the, uh, the adopted, if the adopted heir was more secure than... The, the family heir, the biological heir, that, that's fascinating. Yeah. I, I've got to look into that because if that's the case, yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I wish what I, an I, image. I would have came into this a bit better. On, I've on never that even end. concerned, I've never even thought of that before. That's, that's fascinating. Uh, see, we, we learned some fun stuff in Masterclass Theology. So Paul, can, Paul concludes with this, um, he does this rabbinical work. He takes Genesis 21, the story of, of Abraham and, and Hagar and the slave woman, and he he does he does an allegorical kind of rabbinical thing here that you know commentators a lot of them agree that this is quite possibly the hardest part of the new testament mm-hmm. like this is like they don't understand what's going on so we're going to try to unpack it for you in just a few minutes here and try to understand what's going on and we're Again, we're, this is Master Class Theology, not that Professor D or Big Rev are masters. We certainly are not. But we have the honor of studying the Master and reading his word together. So uh, he goes, and this is verses 21 to 26. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, and he's talking to his Galatian, his Galatian people here who just want to go back. Do you not listen to the law? For is it is written that Abraham had two sons one by a slave woman, and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Sinai, Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the, Jer- but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Okay, so 21 to 26. So let's start here. Let's just take the first part of, of Paul's allegory. Um, what does Hagar and her children represent, according to what Paul's saying here? So what's the first, the first big line of the, ar- of the argument here, the allegory? Well, he, the big thing he's, he's trying to show is that it is not so much the the human offspring because he basically he, they're saying okay Abraham had two sons yet we we as Jews we only talk about the one son obviously there's a reason why we do that and we talk about the one son because the one son is the promised son that God gave the other son came across came uh, came about the natural way mm. and we never focus on him we focus on the promised son so He's, he's making a case here that not all of Abraham's children are we going to really call Abraham's children, mm. so so to speak. Yeah, I was reading this commentary about this earlier, and it was talking about how there's an unspoken tension here. The unspoken tension is the reason why Paul is going this direction is that evidently his enemies, these Judaizers, this was a common Jewish argument. Mm-hmm. To say, you know, there's 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 two ideas here. There there's one, and there there's a child of the promise, and there's a child of the flesh, mm-hmm. and 
And so the Jews would typically say, see, this is why we're accepted, because you got to go the fleshly route. The, the, the true son of Abraham and, and Sarah, the true blue Jew, as it were, this is the direction, and God made a choice here, and this is God's thing. And so they would argue this, and Paul is arguing something flipped on them. Mm-hmm. So he's taking their, their argument and saying, no, wait a minute. There's something you're not you're missing here. Yeah. And so he links. So just to play out the verse here, I kind of wrote this down on my page. There's the one covenant. So we'll say the Moses covenant is linked to a slave woman who then is linked to a son of flesh or a fleshly son, which is linked to Mount Sinai, which is linked to an earthly Jerusalem, which is linked to slavery. Mm-hmm. So all those things are tied together mm-hmm. that the current Jerusalem of their day which is just the things tied to the flesh. So if the, if the argument truly is flesh versus spirit or flesh versus God's promise or the Mosaic covenant versus the Abrahamic covenant. So the Moses covenant is ultimately linked to slavery, the law, which is linked to sons of flesh. So sons that were born in that slavery and that is linked to the earthly Jerusalem, which is perpetuating that law and that slavery. And mm-hmm. so that's the idea that that's one, that, that that's one side of it. And what about the other side? So the, he does. He doesn't name the other wife. I mean, it, it's pretty much assumed who it is, but he doesn't name. He names Hagar. Yes. But he doesn't name her. Yes. So we get the uh, so Hagar's in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. So what's the other woman linked to here? The other woman is linked to Sarah, the free woman, uh, Abraham's actual wife, because Hagar was basically. Uh, Actually, Sarah's concubine. So Sarah's the free wife. Uh, where Ishmael was born through the normal, you know, listening to Marvin Gaye and letting whatever happens, happens. You know, the natural processes happen. Isaac is born in a completely miraculous way. Where Sarah, where Hagar is representing the old cup, the, the Mosaic law, you know. Um, the law I, that can do nothing but slave you. Right. Enslave you. Right. You know, um, Isaac being born from the free woman, the son of the promise. Yes, the promise, the new covenant, uh, where um, Hagar represents, as you mentioned, the earthly Jerusalem. You know, Isaac, and you know, and that those born of, of Sarah represent, are represented in, in the heavenly Jerusalem. Mm. Hagar, it's kind of funny that Hagar is going to be representing Judaism, but Sarah is going to represent Christianity. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. The idea of if you think of the heavenly Jerusalem, so it's we we get the idea that with with heaven, with those of us who have, who have read the book of Revelation, like Revelation four and five, we get this idea of the throne room of God, and every tongue, tribe, and nation mm-hmm. is there. So Jews and Gentiles surrounding the throne. Yes. Honoring honoring the uh, God, the one on the throne, and to the Lamb. Well, we could put it this way. One Jerusalem was brought from the ground up. Mm-hmm. The other one's coming from heaven down. Yeah, so we got this. I love that. We got one covenant tied to this first wife, first woman, the slave woman, tied nothing to slave. So he's already made this argument about the law. Mm-hmm. All it can do at this point is enslave us. Yes. And that's tied to the earthly Jerusalem. And so these Judaizers who were saying, no, 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 you got to be like that earthly Jerusalem. You yes. got to take this upon you. Paul saying, no, 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 this is, this is slavery. This is, you're not taking slavery upon you. And so the irony of this is, is he's, he's linking the Jewish argument to Hagar and Ishmael. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. as opposed to the typical Jewish argument of Sarah and Isaac. Yes. So that's he's flipping it right on their lid. That's yeah. why this is kind of difficult to interpret otherwise. But if the normal Judaizer argument was, no, 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 you got to be the child of the promise, be like Isaac and, and Sarah, actually, you're not like Isaac and Sarah. Because yeah. the child of the promise, if you really think about it, Sarah was, what, 90 and barren? Yeah. And 90-year-old women do not give birth, especially if they've been childless all their life. And Abraham was 100 and change and probably shooting blanks. And well, I mean, he, in the he elderly, had, he had a good bullet in there for issues. He did. <laughs> he had one, I guess. It wasn't entirely shooting place, but but we had this idea of, um, yeah, that baby was pretty much a grace baby. Yeah, it's like for God to open up Sarah's womb of all places. Yes. I, mean, I mean, that, that was that, grace. He was clearly a miracle child. So then you have one baby that's coming that's observing the the law and slavery and works and all these things. Mm-hmm. You got to take this upon yourself. Yeah. And the other one saying, no, 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 this is a promise. God keeps his word. This is about grace. This is about mm-hmm. God's choice. This is about what God's doing in your life. And that's how the God, he's going to send this. He's, God's the one who's adopting you. You're yeah. not choosing to be adopted. God's adopting you. Yeah, and we talked about this last week, that mm. the unconditional covenant is not annulled whatsoever by the conditional one that came later. Mm. Amen. So there's that. So this Jerusalem above is free. So now this way, so instead of slavery of the law, we have something greater that's freedom. Yeah. We have this freedom in Christ now and that that she is our mother. So verse 27, so we, we finish off the, the, the chapter here. He, he quotes here, um, yeah, he, he quotes here Isaiah. 54 was it? Oh, uh, yeah, 54. Yeah, yeah. So rejoice, O barren woman. Uh, the Jerusalem, uh, the other wife. So rejoice, O barren, o barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be, will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Here he brings it home. Mm-hmm. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, he still does to this day, by the way, mm-hmm. so, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son, with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave but of the free woman. So Mick, was this about hating on Hagar here? Is this about her, you know, going after this woman because she's a woman of color or some slave woman? Is this about being mean to her? Or is there a larger point about the allegory of slavery and freedom he's making here? Yeah, it's, uh, it's about the, the latter. It's about the allegory of, of slavery and freedom. And again, he uses the, the, the slavery to show how, how very earthly, how very humanistic it is. I mean, I'm going to stick with that word, humanistic. Because that's what it is. It's very humanistic. It's humanistic in every sense. Earthly Jerusalem, the, the uh, Ishmael's birth is biology 101. There's nothing supernatural about it whatsoever. So the Sarah in this case can rejoice. Because so something great is going to yeah. happen from this. Yeah. That God's going to keep that promise. And as we learned a couple sessions ago, that promise was linked to the offspring. Yeah. Jesus. And, and I think it's important to, to notice too, again, earlier he's talking about, obviously he's making references to, to Genesis, which is in within the law. Now he's, he's using something from Isaiah, which is from the prophets. 
And when Isaiah wrote this, this is written in a time when Israel has been basically in Babylonian captivity. Or is going into Babylonian captivity. So this is very important because it's like he's giving them hope about the pro He's reminding them in the midst of their captivity, mm. yet there's this promise that is still in effect. Mm. There's this promise that is still in effect. Even though it looks darkest now. Just like it was for, for Sarah, it looked completely hopeless back when it happened. And now for Israel, it's looking the same way, hopeless. It's not hopeless. How does Paul land the plane, Professor D? Who are both Gentile and Jewish Christians? Because he says we here. We are now children of the promise. Mm. Not bound by the law. Not bound by the law. Not tied to the earthly Jerusalem anymore. Not tied to the earthly Jerusalem. Not tied to Mount Sinai or Moses nope. or any of the trappings of that. None of that. We get to all go back to Father to the Abraham. the unconditional promise that God gave to Abraham. And we have four. We, the greatest joy for us is not the earthly Jerusalem, mm -hmm. but the heavenly one. Because a lot of people would look at their hometown and they would say, you know what, my hometown is great. My hometown's not yeah. that great, personally. But other people would say, oh, yeah, my, they, they had this soft spot in their heart, rose-colored glasses for their hometown. And, oh, yes, it's so wonderful. I know plenty of people whose hometown is Chicago, and it's oh, that's one of the greatest cities out there, kind of thing. They have this idea. I mean, I, I come from I come from a place that's not really much to write home about, I guess. But, but no, Paul's saying no, no. Our hometown, our home here is not the point. Mm -hmm. That we as Christians get to go to the heavenly Jerusalem. Yes. So that is where, that that's we're we're about where we're going. Yeah. Not about where we came from. Right. And to go back to where we came from and to take that upon ourselves. That's perplexing at best, foolish yeah. at most. Yes. And wow, this is a very interesting closing illustration from Paul there. Yeah. But, but it's important. fascinating. Yeah, it, it's very important for him to set this up because in, in the uh, upcoming chapters, we're going to, to be talking about what, what the implications of this is. You know? We're going to be talking about the implications of this in, in everyday living. So we don't have to do anything to be saved. So what then? And he's setting this up really nicely. And if you think about this, I just something that jumped in my mind. It almost sounds like the uh, the prodigal son story. Mm -hmm. Where you've got the son who, who returns. And to the older brother, or to the other brother, it just sounds like, you know, dad's being an idiot. Why mm -hmm. would your dad do that? And, and yet... That son gets to experience the father. Yeah. That son is almost like he's being adopted back in. Yeah. He's just being received by grace and forgiveness. And here the other brother is just enslaved to his dad. He's just a slave. Oh, I've been, I've been, what's he say? I've been enslaving for you all these years. I don't even get a goat. And yeah. you kill the fatted calf. He kind of views the father as almost like Paul views the trappings of the law. Just It's all we yeah. can get is slavery out of this. And there's no room for grace. Yes. Because if that other brother had room for grace, he would be rejoicing that the wayward son is home. And here it is, like, no, no, no. We're like that son. I mean, this is the argument Paul's not making, but it's the, 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 one, the son of the free woman here. So I, I love this idea. I love what Paul did here because he's taking their normal Jewish argument and turning it right on his head. Yeah. And saying, you've actually got it exactly wrong. It, in fact, is this. And that, this is great. What are some close? How do you land on the plane tonight, Mick? What are your well, closing thoughts? If, if we have faith, um, that is that we trust God alone for our salvation, we are his children. Mm. Plain as that. I don't have to do anything else. The, the fact that I trust God, 
I am his child. You know, the verse that I came to Christ with was uh, John 1, 12. To as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to be called children of God. Mm. This is how I, that was my salvation story. Mm. I had believed that, that Jesus was enough, and I was saved. That was, that was the missing puzzle that I needed, knowing a lot about God, knowing a lot about Jesus, but I had not come to that point until I was like, oh, that's all I have to do? Trust God for it? Because I was still under the understanding that I needed to earn my place in heaven. Amen. And, and here I was told, no, you don't. Mm. I mean, that is great news. That's the best news. Yeah. Well, I, that family idea, I want to close with um, Abba. Yeah. No, I'm not talking that dancing queen nonsense yeah, you know, right, right. from the, the 70s there. But no, this this word, I was I was looking it up. I was in my Greek lexicon and then my Hebrew lexicon right before and I was trying to get a good grasp of it. But it occurs three times in the New Testament, once in Romans 8, once here in Galatians 4, and then once in Mark 14. And this, this word Abba, it, it's an Aramaic word for, the Hebrew word for father was Av, so they kind of added, added another vowel there, Avva. And so Ava or Ava, Abba is, I like how you put it, Mick, because a lot of people say, well, this is daddy. It's like a little kid reaching up and wanting daddy to hold you. No, it, it, it's a it, it's it's a more respectful term, mm-hmm. where it, it's it's like an adult son talking to you know fa- the father, but it's it's kind of a direct term. So there's something mm-hmm. about it's personable. So you're not just saying you know you know father. It's kind of like you're you're it's something that a son would be expected to say to a dad, mm-hmm. and a dad would be expected to receive from a son. So yeah. there's something about that. There's a relationship there. Yeah. It's, it's a rela- it's it, it's a respectful term, but it's it's not, you know, stuffed shirt kind of respect. Right. It, it, there's something about, um, yeah, there there there's there, there's something direct about it. But I love that when Jesus uses it in Mark 14, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, Abba, Father, t- you know, I think he said, um, uh, you, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Something like that. Mm-hmm. So when Jesus uses Abba, there's two, there's two items there. There's trust and there's commitment. Jesus was fully committed to the Father's plan. Mm-hmm. And he trusted his plan no matter what, even if it meant what Jesus knew it was going to mean. Yeah, he didn't want he didn't like gleefully skip into into the crucifixion. He's like, no, take this from me, but not what I will, but what you will. Yes. I trust you. It's almost like what David says in Psalm thirty one. I trust you, God. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. So like David is is willing to trust God, but is still committing himself to the relationship with God. You're my God, David said. So here it is. Everything is possible for you, Abba Father. Take this cup from me, not what I will, but you will. I like that. So we get to have that in our very hearts. The Holy Spirit crying out, Abba Father. So we have this idea. So we respond now with trust. A faith like a child. So you who are adopted, a new adopted son or daughter of the king. We live as new adopted sons and daughters through trust. We respond with trust. And with obedience. Because if we're going to be co-heirs with Jesus, mm-hmm. we need to live like Jesus lived and have an attitude like Jesus had. Trusting God and having a, being fully committed to Him. 
I think that would be a great, not not the trappings of the law that keep us enslaved. We can't prove anything. No, no, no. In our hearts, we're going to trust God yeah. and commit ourselves to him, to be fully committed to him. Yeah. And that would be just like big brother Jesus there. Yeah. So, wow. What, a, what, what, another tour de force, and this just keeps getting better. So this was um, an interesting time tonight. Yes, it this, was. This is a hard chapter. This is, this is not something that you just walk into and say, I'm going to yeah. talk about Galatians 4. None of these chapters are, are that easy. But, no. I, but I'm, I'm, I'm really, I think we did a great job tonight. I re- I'm really happy, Mick, that we could be on this journey together. Yeah. And uh, such an honor. Uh, it really is a, an honor and a privilege to be able to, for God to entrust us with his words, really. Yeah. And this is why we have to labor painstakingly mm. to really see what it is that God wants to tell us. You know, it, it is, you know, it is that love letter. This has been Masterclass Theology. As always, I'm Big Rev. And I'm Professor D. From Galatians 4. God bless. Amen. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode. And I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.